All right, so if you're here in person or online or at Timber Grove, my name's Eric, and if it's your first time, I'm so excited to welcome you to the story. And if you're looking for community, for authentic, sincere community, where questions are welcome and, and you're welcome to doubt, uh, you know, what you believe about God or the Bible or religion, hey, I, I hope the story becomes your faith home, all right? We've got tons of ways for you to get connected to other people and to God, and so we'd love for you to call the story home. I'm going to share a little bit of teaching uh, now about Christmas as we ramp up to Christmas week. Are y'all ready? Y'all feeling, feeling good? Feeling ready? I know it's hard after a year like the one we've had to get excited about Christmas. Some of you will be celebrating Christmas for the first time without a loved one. That's weird. It's going to be brutal. Um, but I hope that you find a blessing in, in this Christmas as well. I'm, uh, I'm personally just, even though we've been through just, you know, been through hell this year. I'm, I'm excited about what Christmas will bring. And I'm excited superficially as well because I was counting my presents under the tree this year. And y'all, I scored big this year. I don't know how it happened, but Giovanna went crazy with the shopping and I'm okay with it. I've got like eight or nine presents with my name on, her, on them, which is like the most I've had since I was a teenager. This is epic. And I shook them and they didn't sound like socks or ties. So this could be a big week for me. So I'm, I'm anticipating what's waiting for me under that tree on Christmas morning. Um, but I hope you've got something to be excited about um, this week as well. Um, I, I know one of the things that excites me about this season is that we're about to turn the page on 2020. And I'm just sick of talking about 2020. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you're sick of hearing about it, but I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of making those lists of all the funny things that happened in 2020 you know, murder hornets and stuff. I've said murder hornets like a million times this year. I'm sick of it. I'm, I'd rather not anymore. And I have no guarantee that 2021 is going to be any better. This could just be the beginning of a really terrible decade. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just tired of talking about 2020 and saying 2020. I want to turn the page and move on to 2021 and, and see what that might bring. It's just been hard. And it's, it felt at times like it's just too much all at once. You ever feel like it's been one of those, like, when it rains, it pours, it's not even an apt analogy. It doesn't even do it justice. It's like every day, it's like, really? More bad news? We got more bad news this week. We lost a young person this week in our story family. A young man named Gene uh, was killed. He was shot to death in, in Missouri City. It's just the most random, insane thing. Um, but it, it sort of fits with the theme of 2020. It just tears your heart out. I know many of you have just been pressed, crushed by this year in some way or another. But what I'm trying to do as I prepare my heart for Christmas is realize, first of all, we were never promised an easy life. Even when we come to Jesus, he doesn't promise us an easy road. In fact, if you read the New Testament, on the contrary, he promises us, you know, some pain, some struggle, a cross. But I'm, I'm trying to find the meaning in it. I'm trying to see the silver lining of it. And I see it. I think I see it. You know, even though there's many of us feel like we've been given more than we could handle this year, you know, we learn things through the struggle that we wouldn't otherwise learn. We grow in ways through the pain that we wouldn't otherwise grow. Um, you know, God teaches us things that like, I, I've just had this sense all year that there's more going on in the world than just what we see than just the material world that we live in every day. And when you learn that lesson, it really is a breakthrough. Part of growing in maturity in your faith is 
starting to see the reality behind the reality, right? So you see under the surface, there's, what's happening on the surface is real, but there's another reality beneath it, a, a spiritual reality undergirding every facet of your life. And I found that to be true this year. It's just like, what is going on? Okay, let's, let's look at this spiritually and not just superficially to see what God might be doing, what God might be teaching. And another silver lining this year for me is, I think myself, but us, us as a church, we have grown deeper in, in terms of our understanding of prayer. I've sensed our prayer life changing. We have started to pray like psalmists pray. I, I've heard my own prayers change. And some of y'all's in our groups as well, I've heard you pray and it's different now. The tone is different. And that's good because the Psalms are meant to be a prayer guide for times like these. The Psalms were written, you know, between 1000 and 500 BC before Christ, but they still speak so poignantly to our pain today. They were written during the darkest moments of Israel's history, times that would make 2020 seem like child's play. And so when you read the Psalms, you're reading prayers and songs and poems that Hebrew people prayed and sang during their times of deepest distress. And there's been a couple of Psalms, familiar ones that I've held onto throughout 2020 that I found myself just repeating when it seems like it's too much. When I'm overwhelmed, my heart rate gets up. I'm just like, what? else is going to happen this year. I repeat a couple of these Psalms just to calm myself down and give myself some perspective. Like Psalm 27, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He is my stronghold. And whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? It gives a new perspective, a new take on pain. Or um, I think about the promise of uh, Psalm 119, verse 105, that says, Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, when you're, when you're wondering how you're going to pick yourself up in the morning, when you're wondering if you still have a job, when you're wondering about a loved one who's got COVID, when you're wondering about the state of the world, it's helpful to remember that the word of God can be a lamp to your feet, a light to your path, so you know where you're going, even when you feel lost. There's always a spiritual dimension to every facet of your life. And if, if you're unaware of the spiritual battle you're in, you're probably losing it. And so I, I want you to be aware. I love you. And I know what it's like to be unaware. I'm, most of my life, I was unaware because I'm essentially a materialist. And I don't mean a shopper. I mean, like, I'm, I just, I, I mostly just care about how I'm feeling and how things look around me. Like, I, I, whenever things go really bad, I have a terrible day and I've got to make a decision, my take on it is usually physical. I'm like, what I need is a good meal and a good night's sleep, maybe a glass of wine. And I'll get up in the morning with a clear head and I'll tackle this problem then. But I'm married to someone who's the opposite of a materialist. My wife is mystical. She's spiritual, right? So she is like, it's like living with a prophet. And, and, and she's, she always knows what's really going on, which is good and bad. Amen, guys? Like, she's always aware of everything. And I'm so glad God brought her to me, you know, because when, when, when it all hits the fan for her, Geo's reaction is, is simply to say, we need to, 
We need to get on our knees and, and pray. We need to fast. We need to pray. We need to keep watch. See what's going on here. We're under attack by this spiritual enemy. And I'm so glad that God brought us together. We need each other. Materialists and mystics need each other because if it wasn't for her, I would never see the spiritual side of things. If it was, wasn't for me, I'm afraid she would never like eat or sleep and stuff. So we're meant to be together. But, but, but I've learned things from watching her when you see, when you choose to see behind the scenes, the spiritual realities, the superficial stuff doesn't bother you that much because you know that's the way the world works. It's the way life goes. What's more important is what's underneath the surface. Have you thought this year about what's underneath all this? I know we always like to default to the, supernat- to, the, to the superficial and say, well, our political opponents are the problem. Liberals are the problem. Evangelicals are the problem. They're the enemy. Get rid of them. We'll have a good country. Huh. Not so sure. Or I know we like to say, uh, you know, the certain politician, Trump's the problem or, or Biden or whatever, they're the problem. Or I know we like to say that terrorists are the problem or America's the problem or empire, whatever. Like, I know we like to think we have the answer on a superficial level, but I don't know, I guess to quote Dr. Phil, like, how's that working? How's that, how's that working out for you? You know, that kind of thing. I, I don't see us making much progress in these battles we're facing by fighting them superficially. So as we prepare for Christmas, I thought I would try and prepare our hearts for a more spiritual Christmas this year. Because I think we all think we know the Christmas story. But I'm not sure we know the whole, the whole Christmas story according to Scripture. Like most of us get the Christmas story from, you know, Christmas Eve services where we read the same passages, maybe a little Isaiah, a little Luke, a little Matthew. Um, and we get the Christmas story from there. And that's fine. You know, that's, that's the stuff Linus quotes in Charlie Brown Christmas. That's the go-to Christmas story. Matthew quotes the Christmas story from, jo- from Joseph's perspective. The Gospel of Luke tells the Christmas story from, Luke's, uh, from uh, Mary's perspective. And we kind of blend them together and have one nice Christmas story. But let me tell you about Matthew and Luke's perspective on Christmas. It's pretty... Um, superficial, and I don't mean that in a shallow sense. I just mean they're telling us facts, mostly. Matthew and Luke are telling us what happened, who was involved, where it happened, when it happened. There's nothing wrong with that, but, but it's almost like the story you would get if I was telling you what happened at Christmas. But if Gio was telling you what happened at Christmas, you'd get a very different story. And that's the story the Gospel of John tells. So the Gospel of John is the fourth gospel written by the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus's closest friends, okay? So uh, probably the youngest of the disciples, one one of Jesus's closest friends, and he wrote five New Testament books, the Gospel of John, first, second, and third John, which are three letters that he wrote to churches, and then everyone's favorite New Testament book, Revelation, um, which is uh, super clear and easy to understand, the book of Revelation, I jest. If you're starting with Christianity, starting with the Bible, don't start reading at Revelation, okay? Let that marinate a while before you get there. But, um, but it's important. I'm going to quote it a little bit later on in this message. I want you to hear the Christmas story from John's perspective. I want you to pay attention to what's missing, like a manger, um, like the shepherds, stuff like that. I want you to pay attention to what's there, like 
light, life, darkness. Okay, so, so just listen in. This is uh, John chapter one, verses one through five, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the word. So what'd you hear there? In the beginning. Does that sound familiar? Even if you're remotely familiar with the Bible, you know in the beginning is how the Bible starts. It's the first verse in Genesis. In the beginning. Why would John start his gospel with in the beginning? He's telling us there's something more than just a baby being born around 4 BC, okay? Which is when we think Jesus was born, physically born. There's something else. There's something eternal that's materializing. In the beginning was the word, proper noun, word, Greek word, logos, the word of God. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, through the word, all things were made. So the word he's talking about was present at creation, active in creation, separate from God, but one with God. Right? Deep, deep theology here, but hang with me. Without the word, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Christmas, according to John. A very different take, all right? So where does he get his information? Who is John's source for this sort of unorthodox view, this spiritual view of what happened at Christmas? He was younger than Jesus. It's not like he was there when Jesus was born. He wasn't there at Christmas. So who told him what was really going on when Jesus was born? Well, maybe Jesus, probably part of it. But I've got another theory I've got a theory about John that includes Mary sourcing his spiritual material. And it comes from scripture itself. Remember when Jesus was being crucified as he was breathing his last breaths, there was only one apostle who had the courage to show up at the cross. It was John. None of the other apostles could even show their faces at the cross. Imagine. But John was there in front of Jesus next to Mary And you remember what happened, right? Jesus is in agony. He's about to die, but he wants to make sure as the firstborn son, the father, Joseph, has already passed away, we presume. And so Jesus is in charge of Mary's well-being now. And he says, John, this is your mother now. Mother, this is your son. And then he dies. So we can safely assume Mary spent the rest of her days under John's roof. And for the remaining years of her life, I love to imagine Mary and John sitting around the fire sharing stories about their experiences with Jesus. I think Mary is where John learned what really happened at Christmas. Not just, you know, uh, the king of the Jews was born. Not just the king has come, but but the the word became flesh. (laughs) The light of all mankind has come and the darkness has not overcome it. That's how Mary understood the birth of her baby boy. It should not surprise us to think of Mary as a spiritual force, right? As a mystic of sorts. We talked last week about Mary and what a force she was and and how she really saw things. She saw things on a deeper level 
One of my favorite images of sort of biblical iconography is, is a modern one. It's one of Mary and Eve sharing a moment. So you have Eve, who is the symbol of original sin, the symbol of being tricked into the, the curse of the serpent, right? In the, in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. And she has this sort of downcast appearance and you see the snake still wrapped around her leg toward the bottom of the image, but follow the snake's body to the ground and across the screen. And you'll see that Mary has underfoot the snake's head as if to say she has stamped out the curse that once bound Eve. And as Eve places her hand on Mary's belly and marvels at the miracle of this child of promise, she is coming to the realization that Mary's baby means the end of her curse, the end of every curse. Amazing and beautiful to see the whole Bible coming together. There is a a spiritual component to the Christmas story that we often miss in our rush to fill our, our, our trees with ornaments and under the tree with presents. There's nothing wrong with celebrating that way. But we also need to be aware that John and Mary saw something else happening at Christmas, right? So John goes even weirder. So it, I, I hesitated to share this part, okay? So I truly did. I don't want y'all to, to think this is a super weird church if you're new here or anything. We don't always talk about this kind of thing, but we got to. We got to. I just have to today. I haven't talked about this in years. And, uh, and it's so important. So in, in, in John's other New Testament book, the, the longest of his books, Revelation, the last book of the New Testament in chapter 12, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you what happens. John tells another version of the Christmas story. No one disputes. He's talking about the Christmas story. He's reimagining it in Revelation 12. He sees a woman deep in the throes of labor, in agony, in pain, labor pains. She's screaming out, crying out, and there's no one around her in this story. She's just her and the baby she's about to deliver, except one other figure emerges in Revelation chapter 12, a dragon. A dragon is there at Christmas crouching before the woman, waiting for some sign of the child's arrival so that the dragon himself could snatch the baby away, robbing the world of God's plans to redeem us. But the moment the child appeared, he was taken to safety by the angels and Mary fled to safety into the wilderness and the dragon was left. His plans to wreck God's plans were themselves destroyed. The dragon in Revelation 12 is identified by John as Satan himself, which can only lead us to assume that if John was in charge of your family's nativity scene, it would look very different than it, than it does probably, right? I doubt any of you have Satan in your nativity scene, right? You got Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and maybe an angel, maybe the wise men, even though they, they have no business being at your nativity scene, You'll learn why next Sunday, by the way, they weren't there at the birth of Jesus. But I know they kind of add some, I don't know, uh, they add some diversity and some, some flair to your, to your nativity scenes. So you can keep them if you want to. But what your nativity scene really needs is a dragon, if I'm being honest. So if you have, uh, you know, figurines, like a little kid that plays with uh, little figurines or something, little Pokemon dragons or something, just take it and add it to your nativity scene uh, to symbolize Satan. Because while Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds and an angel were present at the birth of Jesus, someone else was too, according to John. 
Satan himself was there, ready to pounce, hoping to wreck God's plans for us. Now, I know how strange all this might sound. Uh, Satan has kind of become a joke in many secular circles and, and, and Christian circles, right? So I've noticed that especially in a sort of uppity Western kind of denominational churches, uh, it's become uncouth or unsavory to talk. We don't, we don't talk about Satan here. <laughs> say evil or, you know, injustice or something. Don't say Satan. Like, we're not one of those churches. Uh, you know, and don't talk about casting demons out either. That's not what we do here. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard pastors, well-meaning pastors, but kind of, kind of self important pastors talking about how Jesus didn't really cast out demons. That was just his way of, you know, healing schizophrenia and, uh, and epilepsy or something. Uh, I'm not so sure that we should take such liberties. Jesus himself talked about Satan a lot, right? So, and John himself said the reason Jesus came was to destroy the plans of Satan. And Jesus talked about him all the time and I don't know. I'm not so sure it should be such a joke when we talk about the one who's out to get us like this. <laughs> you know, uh, Satan is, is consistently in the top three most popular Halloween costumes every year. This most recent year, I think it was um, Donald Trump, sexy nurse, and Satan. And um, I dare say Satan is probably the least intimidating of those three <laughs> in terms of uh, your, what your reaction would be, right? Um, it's just kind of a joke, a caricature. And it occurs to me that maybe that's how he wants it, you know? Maybe he doesn't need to make us into like bloodthirsty Satanists with uh, pentagram tattoos dancing around a campfire in a goat mask or something. I don't know. Maybe all he needs to do is make us into... 40-20 Methodists and Episcopalians and Presbyterians who, who just think we're too sophisticated to believe that kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe in some ways he's got us right where he wants us, not believing in him. Because then it's easier to have his way with us. And I know this is probably not the Christmas message you all expected to show up and hear today. I just want you to be aware who was really present at the first Christmas because he's still around today. Now, the reason um, Eve and, and, and Mary's picture that I showed earlier is so profound is because there's this sense of certainty about it that the baby Mary was to deliver to the world would win the war. And in fact, we know how this war, this spiritual battle of light versus darkness, how it's going to end. But as with every war that's winding down, there remain these skirmishes where some are lost. And so we have to take great care. And some of us fall for it. We feel the battle. And we constantly feel like we're losing the battle. We don't understand why. Like, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to to stay clean and sober. What's this, 
Why am I still tempted by this addiction? Or, or I'm doing everything I can to stay sexually pure. Why am I still falling for the same trap? I'm doing everything I can to not be so angry all the time. Why am I still letting my anger get the best of me? I'm doing everything I can to get out of debt. Why can I, can't I seem to stop spending the way I'm spending or, or being irresponsible with my money? Why can't I seem to get a grip on the battles that I'm fighting here? I'm... I don't mean to presume to know what you're going through, but I I wonder if it's possible that the most intense and most important battlefront in the war you're fighting is being left unmanned, as if it's not there at all. Like the spiritual front in that battle is the most important part. Like it's good to go to the right doctors and get the right medicine and take the right steps and do the right exercise, take care of yourself, stay, you know, fit, stay pure, whatever you need to do physically, and, and materially to, to have a good life, live a godly life, but don't leave yourself or your family exposed on the spiritual side by, by forsaking prayer, by forsaking spiritual disciplines, by acting like it doesn't matter really where your heart is as long as your you're behind is in a seat at church on Sunday morning. There's more going on than what you can see. There was at the first Christmas and there is at this Christmas, but whatever your battle is, the assurance of its victory can be yours. And in fact, is already yours if you'll just receive it. The birth of Jesus, the incarnation of God, your creator became one of us to show us how much he loves us and the lengths to which he would go to end the curse and make us his children again. And you don't have to do anything to earn that good favor. It's yours. It is the best gift you'll get this or any Christmas. And all you have to do is say yes to it and ask God to open your eyes to the spiritual realities before you every day. Ask him to show you what's really happening beneath the surface. Say, Lord, I want a spirit of discernment. I want to be able to see what's happening beneath the surface of my life so I can win these battles that I've found myself losing. Jesus came at Christmas to give you victory. John wrote his Christmas story to remind us we need a dragon in our nativity scene. We need to remember that evil was present then and it's here now. It wants to have you. That doesn't have to be your story. Jesus and his victory can be your story if you just simply want it and say yes to Jesus today. It really comes down to praying a prayer as simple as the one I'm about to lead us in. And if your heart's kind of on the fence and you don't really know me, you don't have to trust me. Like, I know, I know what it's like to have your trust broken by religious guys. Get it. Just kind of as much as possible, take me out of the equation and know that your creator loves you and wants you to know and claim the victory he came to give you. So if it's in your heart today, would you just, join me in prayer. And if you're already with Jesus, join me in praying for someone in your life who might not be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder today that even though 
we don't see it sometimes. There's more going on under the surface of life. There's a spiritual reality underneath the physical one. Something happening even right now that we'll fail to see unless we stop and reflect and open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, there is light battling darkness within us and around us. There's good and evil waging war within us, around us. Lord, we want to put our faith in you. Instead of fighting with our own two hands, Lord, we want to trust the way you fight on our behalf. So Lord, we pray for awareness and wisdom as many of us have left ourselves and our families exposed in a spiritual sense in these battles, Lord. We pray for faith and courage to trust you more, Lord. And thank you for becoming one of us, claiming us in spite of our sin and shortcomings. You wanted us so much, you die for us. We thank you, Jesus, for this Christmas promise. Thank you for helping us to see the world as it really is, to see our enemy for who he really is. And we rebuke any notion that our enemy is our spouse or our enemy is ourself or our enemy is, is the other political side or the, our enemy is anyone else but our one spiritual enemy who seeks to have us. Lord, but we are yours. Right now, we proclaim it in our hearts. Even in spite of our doubts, we are yours because you are worthy of our trust. Thank you, Father, for this Christmas at the end of this year, especially at a time like this. We need this promise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.